Salutations, Mets fans, and welcome to this week's edition of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostra, and with me this week is Greg Karam. Greg, it is our final edition, our 67th podcast of 2015. Wow. It is the holiday season, so in the holiday spirit, what Met would you most like to be your secret Santa this holiday season? I think that Curtis Granderson would give a thoughtful or funny gift. And so I would go with him just because, you know, with the, we follow Lucas Duda. He seems like a clever guy. So I think he would do a good job on a gift for me. He's very generous with his time and money. Roberto Clemente Award nominee yeah. this year for the Mets. Yeah. He seems like the guy that would spend like a little bit. He would be like the jerk that spends a little bit more money on the Yankee swap gift than anybody else. Yeah. He just can't help himself. Yeah. That seems like something he'd do. I went with, uh, I went with a, a, a new slash old Met for the purposes of, uh, of this exercise. I think we have similar tastes in popular culture and stuff like that, but Jerry Blevins. Yeah. Yeah. He seems like a hip guy. He he seems like a hip guy. Yeah. He would, uh, he would, he would really get into the proceedings, or maybe just like Noah Syndergaard, he'd probably get me a really good bottle of booze, or like a shotgun, yeah, or a shotgun. <laughs> alternatively, um, <laughs> this is episode one hundred and sixty-four of Amazing Avenue Audio, our final two thousand fifteen edition. And what a year it was! It was a good year for Mets fans. I feel like. You feel like? Well, I, I saw like the sporting <laughs> news still had us as like miserable bastards on there. Like, uh... well, Mets fans will never be happy. Right? Satisfied. Sure, sure. This is as good as it gets, basically. Oh, this is the best year. I mean, of my adult life. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, as a Mets uh, fan. Oh, as a Mets fan, you had to clarify there. Okay. <laughs> Got a little too real there for a second on the podcast. <laughs> They did give us some stocking stuffers. We have some stuff to talk about this week. I was worried it was just going to be, you know, the Mets re-signed Jerry Blevins and made Dick Scott their bench coach. And we will talk about those things. But first and foremost, on the minds of everyone, first in our minds and first in our hearts, Bartolo Colon is back on mm-hmm. the Mets, Greg. Hmm. It's exciting, right? It is very exciting. One year, 7.25 7. million. Yeah. Yeah. That's a solid deal. It is. It's a totally reasonable deal. For yeah, you know, like thought... for baseball reasons, it makes perfect sense. But I'll be honest, a lot of the reasons I'm excited about this this deal have nothing to do with baseball reasons. <laughs> Bartolo is coming home. Yeah. Well, but, but I mean, think about it this way. So you, some dude, one of your buddies, or whatever, you decide you get out of work early on a Wednesday night, and you're like, ah, I want to go to a Mets game tonight. Uh-huh. You're golden. No matter That's who's exactly- pitching, it doesn't matter. I'm so glad you said that. I was, exa- I was thinking the exact same thing when I was thinking about this earlier today. You're set. Every day of the week, you're set. It doesn't, you're set, it doesn't matter. matter. There's no disappointing. There's no yeah. Dylan G out there. You're just you're happy. So you got a special $10 deal on Tuesday nights. Like, oh, no, it could be whatever. Whoever is good is going to be great. No Dylan G, no John Neese. That's the best part of this whole thing, I think. No Jeremy Gonzalez, no Brian Lawrence. <laughs> you want to go way back. <laughs> No Brandon Knight, Jorge Sosa. Okay, Days stop. are over. <laughs> that's enough. That's enough. Dial it back. 
It's and good. Look, it, it's great. I mean, look, he's a, he's a joy. He plays a game with a carefree sense. You know what I was thinking? I was thinking, like, what would be the most shocking, like, reaction that a player on the Mets could have? And like, be like, if Bartolo Colon got genuinely angry and, like, sure. smashed something, threw his glove down, like, that would shock me. You know, he's just a guy who plays with uh, carefree and a little bit of joy. It's fun to watch. And look, I get it. They could have... He's not the best remaining starting pitching free agent on the market. No. But, you know, for me as an aging hipster, he's very aesthetically pleasing to me. And sort of the way I now take in baseball games. We'll get to that because we have an email. It's from Joshua. And look, I'll, I'll be honest... Joshua brings up some very valid points here that we may be, you know, going slightly overboard with the Bartolo Colon love. He's been about a low average pitcher the last two years. We know this. Joshua writes, so inundated with an onslaught of Bartolo memes and bays on Twitter. I don't know who was doing that today. Spamming your Twitter feed, you poor guy. Isn't it sort of important to ask whether re-signing the 43-year-old who posted an ERA over four in each of the last two seasons and is a good bet to be worse next year and doing so over several better options, a bad idea? So I get that. It's it's a reasonable position to take. It's also a false choice because the options were Bartolo Colon or Sean Gilmartin. They're not signing Mike Leake. They weren't signing Jordan Zimmerman. They're not even signing Scott Kazmir. Yeah, so you got to look at it from a replacement level on the Mets standpoint. Yes. They won't go two years for, like, Denard Span or Gerardo Parra. They're not going two years for a pitcher. <laughs> and look, there were some amazing Avenue commenters, like, oh, we should go with Gil Martin or Verrett. No. <laughs> what do you think Sean Gil Martin <laughs> no. looks like as a major league starting pitcher? He was a mediocre double A starter in 2014. He's a sit 88 dude with a four curve and a four changeup. That does not go through the lineups multiple times. And I like Logan Barrett fine. But that that can go bad in a hurry. And all of a sudden you're trying to find 100 more innings because you can only get through 80 with those two dudes. And you've taken them out of your bullpen, which is not particularly deep right now. This is all true. And look, Bartolo Colon, there is value in 180 innings 10% worse than league average. Those dudes don't come cheap, it if I'm honest. could be even better. Yeah. No. And he could be. If you know, if yeah. you buy into sort of the fielding independent stuff, he's been, quote unquote, unlucky the last two years to a certain extent. Your mileage may vary there. But look, he's he's beloved in the clubhouse. And let's be honest, the Mets front office and field staff value that sort of clubhouse continuity. That's why they brought Jerry Blevins back. Um, which we'll get to in a minute. Carl Cologne, he's just like, like he's like Familigan Robles' best friend. He's like a second pitching coach. He's one of the few Spanish-speaking veterans they'll have in the clubhouse next year. That stuff, yeah, it's like you know whatever incidental kind of stuff. And if he's you know Valverde, you don't really care about it so much. But he can still be a productive major league contributor. He has experience going yeah, to the knows, pen the now. Year, so. maybe. Maybe we'll find out at the end of the year that he, uh, Rafael Montero, a trick to Montero becomes a viable major league star. You know, that, that kind of stuff. 
it's possible. Those veteran presence, if you will. Veteran presence, yes. Hey, we, there have been a lot of examples in the Mets organization over the years of that, whether it's Izzy teaching Parnacle Curve, Warren Bird teaching uh, Justin Turner how to hit a baseball. So. <laughs> With the Mets, the Mets front, the Mets organization did not get the full benefit of that, mind you. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, I don't I I mean, is it inspiring on a baseball level? Yes, because it's Bartolo Colon. <laughs> There's nothing not inspiring about this. It's your fifth starter. Look, I mean, yeah, it's your fifth starter. If you want, it, you can pencil in for 180 innings, um, which I think is important given that, you know, Matt's is going to be on an innings count. You know, they're saying probably not for Noah, but they probably want to keep him around 200. Uh, you don't know what you're going to get when Wheeler comes back. Comes back. Right. It, it just gives you a guy that can... You know, you know, even if he's getting shelled, he can get, he can keep some of the pressure off your bullpen, keep the bullpen a little fresh. Now that has value. Gives you pitching depth. It gives you value. If it keeps Sean Gilmartin from the rotation, it has value. Right, and now it's like now it gives you like Sean Gilmartin and Logan Verrett as a guy that come if someone gets hurt. Right. If you if you move Sean Gilmartin to the rotation and Sean Gilmartin gets hurt, what the or somebody else gets hurt, what the fuck happens then? Yeah, then you're really fucked. Then Gabby you know is getting which is, which is great for also great for me personally, but maybe not for the 2016 Mets. No. And there's just all the like the aesthetic. It's just you know, once every five days, it's Bartolo on the mound, Bartolo at bat. Like that stuff matters to me now more than it probably did five years ago when I was like a, you know a cranky twenty something, sitting through terrible Mets teams. But I can appreciate everything that comes sort of with the Bartolo experience now. Yeah, I'm not, not a big fan of him at the back. Oh, see, it's, whatever. Yeah, he's not. He's he's people, really people love that. He's a better hitter than like John Lester. I mean, it's like he's not. Like, he's not even like a bad hitter by pitcher standards at this point. Oh, oh, really? You want to look it up? Hang on. No, he's a terrible hitter. No, I will not in any way, shape, or form. Except this blasphemy on the podcast. All right. Howie's Howie's call of his double. That won some like award, award, didn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it won some award. Yeah. Forgotten how to do this because uh, it says all leagues. I want NL, all teams qualified. What are you doing? I've like forgotten how to do this. Okay, yeah. I, I mean, he hit, he hit one thirty-eight last year. Okay, he hit zero thirty-two the year before that. No, give me, give me his, <laughs> give me his triple slash from last year. One thirty-eight, one fifty, one fifty-five. No walks. It struck yeah, out thirty-seven percent of the time. Four yeah, RBIs. Hang on, I'll remember how to do this. I had to, and it's just a full disclosure, I had a very large margarita before we started podcasting. So I've got to remember how to search uh, positionally for... It's a trick I'm forgetting. Because that's 032, 032, 048. 
I just want his 2000. What was his 2015 triple slash? 138. Yes. 150. Yes. 155. The average pitcher in Major League Baseball last year. I just searched for NL to be fair. Um, I don't think that the AL interleague numbers will skew it that much one way or the other. Hit 132, 159, 169. Otoko okay, so is we're, roughly we're, a league average hitter. Roughly a league average hitter. By pitcher okay. standards. Just okay. to be clear. We can we can look. It's we should you know, we should caveat that. But. As I said before, I'm a I, I'm a Mets fan. We had an email about this a few weeks back. I'm a Hobbesian. Life is you know nasty, brutish, and short. I just want to enjoy some of it. Watching Bartolo Colon swing really hard, have his helmet fall off, and occasionally double up the gap and have Howie Rose go nuts. Is that too much to ask? It's not too much to ask. In other news, Mets have added to their 2016 bullpen by re-signing Jerry Blevins for one year and $4 million with up to $1 million in performance bonuses. I think this is the moment where I realize I just have no idea what people should pay relievers anymore. Well, a lot of the projections on him were like 2 and $3 million. I mean, he made $2.5 million as a last year, like as an ARP 3 this year, or 2015. Yeah. And then broke his forearm twice and pitched five innings. Right. <laughs> and got a raise. <laughs> hey. So on the one hand, it's good to be left-handed. There you go. And on the other hand, I just I just don't know. I don't know what that if that's – it's not bad. It's like a one-year deal. Um, it's just – I just have no gauge for what you should be paying relievers, I guess. Yeah, I don't either, but I don't really – care too much i'm just happy that he's coming back and they needed a left-handed arm out of the pen which was something they lacked last year so that's true they may have traded yeah. their best one for neil walker <laughs> yeah that's true gotta have somebody to come in and uh, strike out bryce harper it's true you I want to count on dario alvarez ever doing that again although he, he was one for one so far <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's whatever. I shouldn't in any way, shape, or form care about, like, a $4 million deal for a loogie, but it's the Mets and, you know, finances and creditors and yada, 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 so. Well, it's a one-year deal, so they should be okay. You would think. He's putting his uh, Mets career ERA title in jeopardy, though. Oh, he has that. Minimum, minimum, minimum five innings, yes. Minimum five innings. I think he's tied so with CJ Nitkowski right oh, now. Oh, he's tied with him. I think uh, Nitkowski threw five and a third. Something like that. It's, it's something, yeah. Uh, I know he's made jokes about it on Twitter before, but I forget exactly uh, how many innings he's, he's thrown with the Mets. <clears throat> he threw... Yes, d- definitely single digits. Yes. Five and two thirds, sorry. Get it right. Though, unlike uh, Jerry Blevins, he has a lot of base runners. Oh. Jerry Blevins was 15 up and 15 down. So he's the uh, the whip leader. He would be the whip leader, yes. Minimum five innings. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's... Assuming they're probably going to 
stretch out Sean Gilmartin in AAA as a starter. And Gilmartin's not really a left-on-left specialist anyway. It's reasonable. They brought back Dwayne Below, so I'm sure they'll load up on a couple of their lefty non-roster invitee types between now and February 15th or whenever pitchers and catchers report. Yeah, they also brought back the opening day closer. Oh, Buddy Carlisle, yes, you're right. I had forgotten about that. That will never not be funny. It's true. There'll be at least one more new face in the 2016 Mets roster. They hired a new bench coach, and it's no one we discussed when we discussed bench coats a couple weeks ago. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Dick Scott, well, the current uh, head of player development and former field coordinator, takes the reins from Bob Guerin. I kind of like this, I got to say. Well, all right. Tell me what a bench coach does. Well, it varies by organization is the thing. Okay. Ideally, you want your bench coach to have a slightly different skill set than your manager. A slightly different point of view, perhaps. Um, I think for the Mets, my impression is the bench coach sort of functions as the intermediary between Terry Collins and the front office. Okay. So then that in that sense, I, I do like it. Uh, I'll say this. Dick Scott is incredibly well-regarded within the Mets organization. Everyone I've ever talked to talked to about Dick Scott has nothing but glowing things to say. Obviously, he's overseen a crop of very talented now major leaguers in his, in his stints in player development within the organization. Um he, you know, you can say, is he as sabermetrically inclined as Bob Guerin? No, but he's, you know, certainly been there when they've developed their sort of analytical systems for evaluating minor leaguers, and they do have them. So he's been part of that. Um, he knows these players. He knows their strengths and weaknesses. He's a good relationship with the front office. They value his input. I think he'll be a good conduit between... Uh, between Collins and the front office. It's hard to argue with that. Yeah, you, I, I, you know, honestly, I didn't really even consider him, and he has managed in the minors before, because I thought that well, a he wasn't sort of on the on the short list of candidates that was bandied about by the beat writers, but also because I just figured he the front office considered him too valuable in his current role. Yeah. Well, and if you if the job is what you said it was, and then some of the other guys that were being thrown around, like Tuffle and uh, Pedro Lopez, probably didn't really make too much sense. And actually, when you think about it, this is actually probably the perfect candidate. I mean, I think they made sense fine too. I don't think it. A, it's very difficult as outsiders looking in to evaluate this one way or the That's other. That's hundred percent true. And I don't. I think you know the front office likes Tim Tuffle. I think the front office likes Pedro Lopez. Um, I think. This hiring does indicate that they're viewing this position as sort of a, a a conduit or an intermediary between the front office and the field staff, which is fine. That's true for a lot of teams. View it like that. You know, a lot of times, and a lot of times, managers will hire their own bench coach. Um, I mean, as I recall, the stories like Collins ended up sort of. I don't know how much he signed off on Garen 
but there was a story going around i think they just ended up going out to dinner and talking basketball the entire time i seem to recall that being a story around the time he was hired i don't know if the mets front office already made that decision obviously bob garen i would be very familiar with de podesta and alderson from their oakland days right so but yeah i'm fine with it yeah sounds like a good move is in so much as i can evaluate that i was a little surprised but i think it's in uh an interesting now they got to hire a new field coordinator i think i probably promote with it from within there's a few uh I don't know who the current field coordinator is. I could probably look that up, right? <laughs> I just, I don't keep track. I know Levin's the director of, uh, he's a different title. It's not field coordinator. Oh my God. There's so many of those title creep. It's just corporate officers everywhere. Uh, front offices, it's the worst. Yeah. It's like the GM isn't even the guy who calls shots anymore. I mean, Alderson is actually the general manager. He's like His official title is general manager. No, I know. It's just other front offices, they have GMs, and then they have the executive vice president of baseball operations. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's I don't even know what anyone does anymore. Right. I mean, like, how many GMs do they have in the Dodgers front office? As many as it takes to sign off on not spending any money, apparently. Yeah, I'm okay with that. Executive database home. I gotta go to Baseball America now. It's not helping. Could be a sign that there is actually a ceiling and how much money these teams can spend. Well, you don't hire Andrew Friedman if you're just gonna, you know, spend all day. Yeah. Maybe I don't know. You see other teams like the Yankees cutting back. Just sure, luxury I mean, tax does luxury have luxury tax a, does have an effect, certainly. Yeah. Um, but it's not like the Dodgers aren't turning a profit, so maybe they don't think their TV deal holds up or something. I don't know. I mean, they've signed the that contract signed. That's up to you know whatever that is. I, yeah, I thought it was. I thought Fox it was Sports West or whatever. I thought it could fall through somehow, but. I, mean, I don't know if there's out clauses based on. So I know there are a lot of people that in Los Angeles that weren't able to. Yeah, nobody actually, can actually nobody can actually watch the games. Right. So like, screw this! I'm not paying more for your. Yeah. Regional cable network. But yeah, that's between the RCNs and the cable companies, and you see this all the time. I mean, <laughs> I remember when I was living in Canton, like place i was running had uh dish network or whatever and they had sny like and then like opening day like they dropped sny because the carriage stuff i was like are you fucking kidding me passes right through i was not happy so that covers the bulk of the actual news for this week now move on to your emails before we do emails we do housekeeping this Amazing Avenue Audio, episode 164. Amazing Avenue Audio is the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. Find us on the internet at amazingavenue.com. 
Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. Or join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash Amazing Avenue. You can find the podcast on iTunes. Just search for Amazing Avenue Audio, and you can listen or subscribe right there. I encourage you to do both. I also encourage you to rate and review the podcast. You can find the podcast on the Stitcher app. Download directly from blogtalkradio.com slash Amazing Avenue. Or listen to the embedded player that goes up in the podcast post in Amazing Avenue proper. I'm your host, Jeffrey Paternostro. Find me on Twitter at Jeff Paternostro. My co-host this week is Greg Karam. You can find him on Twitter at Greg Karam. That was the housekeeping. These are your emails. You can email the podcast at podcast at amazingavenueaudio.com. All our emails are from David's this week for the most part. It seems that way. These are the Daves we know we know. Our first email is from David. Hey, Jeffrey and Chris or Greg. With Kadiar's retirement, looks like the Mets will need a, either a righty corner outfielder or a righty first baseman, or preferably both in one, since it's not wise to play Granderson and Duda every day against lefties. They're probably not going to platoon Granderson and Duda if they didn't last year. I'm guessing it's just not happening for Travis Tyrone, despite his power. You guessed right! So who's out there? Free agents for first base and or outfield, as of now, include Donorfia Ruggiano, Frenchie, Ryan Rayburn, and Steve Pierce. Rayburn or Pierce would be my choice out of the selections since they can play first base or outfield. If you can play outfield, you can probably play first base. Rayburn has only played a little first base, but he's a better hitter. 309, 393, 543 last year in a career 827 OPS versus left-handed pitching. And athlete of the two. He's not a great fielder, but he's a cromulon upgrade over what Kadir gave them. Thoughts keep the game, the good work. It's from Dave G. So here's the thing about all these like right lefty masher, righty corner outfielder dudes. They all had similar or worse numbers than John Mayberry's career track record against lefties. Yeah, so you just don't know. He's all slapping as that kind of guy. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe one of them works out this year. Just because it didn't work out last year for 100 plate appearances doesn't mean it won't work out. This year with, I think Ruggiano actually signed somewhere else in the last two days. But then it won't work with Steve Pierce, who was bad last year, so maybe he'll be good this year. I don't know. I saw a tweet that said Wilmer Flores is going to be the backup first baseman because why not? Yeah. And that, you know, that makes sense. He's played some first base in the minors, though not a lot. He's tall. Um, scouts I talked to at the time when he was in double, I thought he might be a first baseman long-term anyway. So that would allow them to focus more on like outfield specific dudes and not really worry about first base. And ideally dude is a 150 game a year guy anyway. I don't know, ideally. On the Mets, he'll probably play 150 games. Well, hey, he hit lefties much better last year. I mean, Again, you just don't know if that's... Like with any of these dudes, it's not... I'm going to pick one at random. Let's pick Justin Ruggiano. I was actually surprised at how much Wilma Flores mashed lefties last year. He mashed I mean, he looks, he's, He actually has a slight he's like reverse. He's 600. Yes, he actually has a slight reverse split for his career, which is weird. But uh, he mashed lefties in the minors, too, so I think it's just a sample size thing. Yeah. And you know, it's like lefties trying to come in with little cutter, dick high cutter bullshit. You right, listen to the podcast squeaks. out there, you know how it is. <laughs> he squeaks it over the wall. Right. You know, Ruggiano for his career is an 856 OPS against lefties, 695 against righties. He only he has 535. It. I just grabbed him off the list as a random yeah. example. He only has 535 plate appearances for his career against lefties. So that's not even a full season of PA. It's not a significant sample. Yeah. 
that's the problem with these guys. You just there aren't a ton of options to be honest out there. Yeah, it's like Voros's law. Anybody can do anything in a hundred play appearances or so if they're of major league quality. Which all those guys are. They're not good major leaguers, but even against the you know the the their platoon side, they're not necessarily going to do what you expect. See John Mayberry. See Chris Young. I mean, they should just bring back Cespedes. They could alternatively do that. Yes, he is right-handed. We have another email from another David. Jeff, Greg, Steve, etc. I know it doesn't make for a very interesting podcast to just trust the leadership of the Mets and watch them get it done, but you all need to pipe down and accept the Mets organization is banging on all cylinders and is second to none in baseball in 2015. They were second to one. <laughs> After solving the infield and lack of switch hitting dilemmas, I don't know if lack of switch hitting was a problem per se, that hurt us a bit last year, the Mets have a pretty few easy needs to fill in the bullpen as well as a speedy fourth outfielder to bridge us to Nemo. That actually begs the question. Proper <laughs> use of begging the question. I think you can figure out what that question is. Sandy can do that much blindfolded. To me, the only real area we should get aggressive on is addressing our corner infield slash middle of the order production problem. Right and Duda just don't get it done. Forget anywhere else. These two are the primary reason we didn't do better in the World Series. You can think of a few others. Since no one wants to get rid of David and no one wants his contract in trade, we should trade Duda for some relief help and look for a legit first or third baseman really back cleanup we can what? trade most of our hang on we can trade most of our farm for todd frazier and apparently it didn't take most of your farm for todd frazier no <laughs> that would do it move right to first we should be pretty solid freddie freeman trade i do that too another possibility is murph that's just money but we know it means much less power than would be ideal so he's a met and his murphness hurts us less on the corners are you more than happy with any of these three options thoughts can you think of anyone else regards david it's what the fuck's wrong with Lucas Duda? Everyone hates Lucas Duda. <laughs> I don't understand. Like, look, is he... If I was starting a team from scratch, my first draft pick on this team be fucking Lucas Duda? No. But he's a cromulent Major League first baseman. <laughs> it's amazing. Like, there's I, I, nothing, everyone I none to. of those dudes in this email do better than Lucas Duda offensively. No. No. And everyone I talk to is saying he's too streaky. Like, where did this? Where did this? Is this somebody talking about this on like talk radio it's or something? Before on the like, show, it's not. It's not about Duda. It's about the people that like Lucas Duda. It's like assholes like us. No. It's like you know. It's 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 delineating your own fucking cool kids table on the internet. Uh, is all it is. But he hits dingers. He does hit dingers. <laughs> I'm not going to trade him for some relief help. Ah. <laughs> uh. I mean, look, that's ideally with the Mets get better production at the corners than they're probably going to get in 2016. Yes. But it's not my main concern right now. And I don't think you can just move right to first base is the other thing. Like he's not, he's short. And he has no experience playing there. Yeah, and uh, this other concept that we just need to trust trust the leadership of the Mets. I mean, look, they had a great year, but you got to look at it from 
there was a lot of luck that went into this season too as well. You know, you got to think of it that way. I mean, I mean, I mean, nobody cares how you went at the end of the day. No, I know, but like from a process standpoint, you know, are we at the point where we're just like, oh god, these guys are geniuses? <laughs> you know, I, I don't think that that's the case. I feel like there were some things that fell their way this year. Um, I mean, a lot of those things could very well fall their way in 2016, too. Yeah, true, but, you know, a lot of things. You know, nationals falling apart and all that kind of stuff. So I'm just saying. And do they really need just like a fourth outfielder to be that confident in Juan Lagares in 2016? Because it seems more likely than not that he would. Like, he's not. Is he going to get better with the bat? Because if he doesn't get better with the bat and the defense continues to erode, you know? It's tough to – I don't want to use the phrase get better with the bat. He's so bike batting average dependent that you just – I don't think he'll be worse functionally. Right. He's Babbitt dependent. Offensively, he'll be stuff. probably somewhere between 2015 and 2014. Which, you know, if he's a 70-grade center fielder again, who cares? It's just, it's not enough to put them over the top, you know? I mean, just saying, it, like, you're going to have a bunch of 100 way to runs created plus hitters out there, and it's just going to be, it's going to be a bit of a slog. Albeit a pretty decent team. Yeah. No, I, like I said last week, I think they're probably the presumptive favorite, you know, as we record this on December 16th, the presumptive favorite in the NL East. You should be taking a fucking bow for that if you looked at the rest of the NL East. <laughs> Right. I mean, you know, 60% of the division is tanking. Yes. Actively tanking. And God knows what the Nats are doing. Yeah. The Nats are, like, talking themselves into Danny Espinosa as they're starting shortstop on opening day. They could spend some money before it's all said and done. They could, but they don't seem particularly inclined to do that. Well, rumors had a $200 million offer on the table for Hayward, so I think there's some money there. Sure. The, the, what's the largest contract they've given out this offseason? I'm pretty sure it's these Mero Petit. <laughs> I guess they signed Sean Kelly, so okay. But Yeah. Their bullpen still may end up like, you know, strangling each other by the end of uh, spring training. Our next email is from Rob. Jeffrey and Compadre. Giles just landed a pretty big haul. Ken Giles, the Phillies closer. Familia is better than him, right? Yes. Would you trade Familia for that package? I think I said yes on Twitter. I think I said yes when it was Derek Fisher and not Mark Appel. He says Francona. I think he means Terry Collins. Did ride him pretty hard down the stretch, and the Mets' history is littered with bodies of relievers whose arms were turned into string cheese by overuse. Turk Wendell and Pedro Feliciano, we speak your names. How would you leave out Carlos Torres? Poor, poor Carlos Torres. And Tim Burdak and Scott Rice. Carlos Torres almost threw 100 innings out of the bullpen one year. He did. Excelsior, Rob. Um, I don't think I'd do it. No. I would not. Um, I thought about it with all this market, this 
crazy market for closers and high leverage relievers, but you know you also need some of them on your team. Right. The Mets are in the way the 2016 Mets are constructed. They're still going to be winning. <laughs> I said this last year before the season. They're still going to be winning a lot of like 4-3 and 3-2 games. Yeah, you point. need that shutdown high leverage reliever. Jairus Familia is that dude, and he doesn't make any money. So he's more valuable to the Mets. In the same way Giles is more valuable to the Astros than he would be to the Phillies, um, Familia is more valuable to the Mets than he would be to another team. Perhaps a lesser team. That's accurate. Also, I have now grown accustomed to Danza Kaduro in my life. and I wanted to keep happening. I wanted to keep happening. Our next email is from Michael. Hello, gents. I'm so tired of people predicting that our starting pitching will cost a billion dollars in a few years. In my opinion, the only p- pitcher with the chance of making a $200 million contract is Thor because he hasn't had Tommy John surgery. Although he has had to be shut down due to, to, to elbow soreness a few different times in the last two years, so question mark. I think it was only elbow soreness once with shoulder issues the other two times. DeGrom will be a 33-year-old free agent with about eight years of wear on his new ligament. He's not getting a huge deal. In fact, he's a perfect extension candidate. Matt's needed two years to come back from his TJ, and he's not a free agent for six years, not concerned. Wheeler has four years, which brings me to Mr. Harvey. I don't care who his agent is, no one will pay $30 million per year to a guy going into his age 30 season with a five-year-old replaced ulnar collateral ligament. There's a 90% full recovery rate for first-time TJ pitchers. The second TJ has a 30% rate. One more TJ and any of these guys would hope to be as lucky as guys like Chris Medlin and Chris Capuano or in the 1-2 to two market year market as a low AAV. The most money a TJ pitcher has made is Jordan Zimmerman at 110 and Wayne Wright at just under 100. If anyone thinks Harvey will make twice that, they're just being erroneous. No GM owner is that brazen. Curious for your thoughts, Mike. The whole point of that exercise is that they were free agents right now. Obviously, things can change and four to six years. That's what they would get. Yeah. And we just haven't had enough free agents hit, you know, post-TJ free agents hit Tommy John, uh, post-TJ pitchers hit free agency, there we go, to have a sample size worth judging. And, you know, if Jordan Zimmerman had pitched like 2014 Jordan Zimmerman, 2015, he probably gets twice as much as he got. Yeah, when does Strasburg become a free agent? Next year. Uh, that'll be a good taste, Next uh, yeah. case study. Um... The problem is, like, now you're just like, everybody's going to have Tommy John surgery when they hit free agency. <laughs> We're just sort of starting to get the first generation of guys that, uh, and Wainwright was an extension, too, so not a true free agent. So I think you have to consider, you sort of bake in the, a bit of a discount there. And just the way the pitching market in general is inflating. Like, Wade Miley is terrible. I don't care if he has, still has his original UCL and he's making a ton of money. It's true. Well, like, that stuff think- just doesn't matter. Do you think that with these young pitchers that they have and they're under team control, do you think they should negotiate longer-term deals with these guys just sure. to kind of keep them on the team and cost-controlled? Absolutely. That's a good idea. Um, I think that's sort of the, the, the point of the sort of intellectual exercise of calling them a billion-dollar rotation. So then like, why— I mean, the whole point, like, literally Major League Baseball has legislated it so all these guys are hideously underpaid and it's in a, and free agency is inefficient. Right. Well, why do the Mets seem to be the only team out there that doesn't kind of do this, that type of deal? 
I mean, they'll do it for Juan Lagares, but like it's basically just paying out his Arb years. So um, uh, the answer to that question is loan covenants. Okay, see. <laughs> I mean, I think I think one or I think one of these dudes will get an extension. I don't know who it'll be. Um, but it's you still have to, given the pitching market where it is, and I understand because twenty five-year-old pitchers and you're still sort of in a, a very high risk matrix so maybe you want that cost certainty but you're not signing a at this point in time because of the way the market's changed in the last couple of years you're not signing a madison bumgarner or chris sale or cory kluber deal if i'm noah syndergaard i don't know i'm not signing for less than 100 million guaranteed right now Well, depends on how many years, but uh, yeah, I don't think I don't think that's that crazy because it's a long shot that you're not going to hit Arb and at least get right. You, 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 it's sort of the idea that you know your first million is really important, and every million after that is sort of diminishing utility. It's possible, but also if some of these uh, pre-Arb extensions haven't really been giving great discounts. Um, yeah, I mean that's sort of also the new normal. Right, you know, it depends you're, on you're buying where out you free sign. agent years, but you're not getting a huge discount, maybe, right. you know, 15, 20% or something like that. Though you kind of are now, I feel like, because it didn't look like it at the time with the markets accelerating well, it, so fast yeah, for pitcher kinda, salaries. That... That's true, too. Yeah, maybe now's not a good time to negotiate an extension. That's where the problem sort of comes in with the Mets, too. It's like if they can't, you know, if it's, well, it's still probably, it even, if, even if you're kicking on a couple, you know, $20 million team option buyouts at the end of these deals, you're still probably guaranteeing $60 million in new money to these guys. Yeah, and is that is that a problem for them? Yeah. I mean, we've seen they don't really want to go two years on, like, Denard Span and Gerardo Parra at this point. It's like they've already guaranteed, you know, whatever, 30-ish million this offseason in new money. That's what it's all about. It's like new money and years out is where the yeah. issue comes in, I think. Until proven otherwise. Uh, I mean, if you don't think they had to call up whoever to get the approval to even offer Ben Zobris $60 million over four years, which, again, it's not a significant contract. It's a middle-class free agent contract, uh, similar to the one they gave to Granderson. They still probably had to get approval to do it in terms of how much total new money you can take on. Because if you're – I forget who owns their debt. I want to say it's Morgan Stanley. Maybe it's Merrill Lynch. Owns the, the biggest chunk of it. I talked about JP Morgan. it. JP Morgan. I think you're right. Uh, if you're JP Morgan, all that $60 million is is more debt they've taken on from somebody other than you. Yeah. Essentially. That's just one more. It's cynical, well, but when you're dealing with the will pods, you have to yeah. be cynical. It's just one more creditor, essentially, <laughs> that you're competing with if the team goes bankrupt. Yeah, realistically, it's you know very, very difficult to lose money owning a baseball team. The value of the franchise continues to go up. But, you know, this was the ownership group that was taking out loan, like, you know, lines of credit from Major League Baseball to meet basic obliga- financial obligations just a couple of years ago. If I'm JP Morgan, I'll you know, I'll I'll run the numbers and see what comes out. Keeping in mind they have the sixty million due to uh, 
the uh, I don't know what it's actually called, but like sort of the Madoff payment over the next two years. Right. So that's you know another debt. We just can't get away from this story. No one really talks about it anymore, and I don't really want to talk about it. But we're looking at why haven't they signed Jacob Degrom to an extension, or why didn't they just you know sort of head off the Matt Harvey kerfuffle at the end of last season by guaranteeing his three arb years at a reasonable close to market cost that's still a very tradable deal if it comes to that it's just can they take on new money and how much money can they take on and at what horizon the conversation we'll have over and over again yeah there's somebody they can there's somebody out there who knows who can probably you can probably Se- track several down somebody's somehow. i'm pretty sure but they're not gonna talk to us on the record it's never gonna happen our final email is from one more david dear jeff and consorts i want to say congratulations on reaching your 160 second podcast thereby completing your first full season so i'd like to hear your over under on your baseball reference 162 game averages for the following categories one alcoholic beverages consumed <laughs> i will say i don't i can't think of any podcast where i've had more than one probably somewhere i haven't had any but there's also podcasts where i've recorded on two consecutive days where i probably had a drink on for each of those sessions like i'm not drinking right now i don't know if we want to count the margarita i had before we started recording right probably not um, for statistical purposes, I'm going to say it's pretty close to 162 alcoholic beverages, especially when including my co-hosts. Oh yeah, and I feel like Steve every time he's on has like five fucking like vodka Gatorades or whatever like what? trash juice he drinks <laughs> during the show. Trash juice. <laughs> oh man, throwing Steve under the bus. Yeah. Two shortstop avenue audio segments. Too many. And there was a period the last couple off season where we were doing it just about every week, I think. Oh, I don't was... think we do it a ton during the regular season. I know that we were doing it enough that I would have it stuck in my head during the day at work, which was always my least favorite days at work. Hmm. I'm going to say 40. Maybe then 40 shortstop avenue audio segments. That sounds right. Josh Satin eyebrow mentions. I feel like when Josh Satin comes on the podcast, it's not really about his eyebrows. At least not for me. Yeah, probably like 10. Yeah. Four, I'm out of time spent looking up Dominican, Puerto Rican, Venezuelan, Mexican, Korean, <laughs> Japanese, Cape Cod, Summer League stats. Uh, too many hours. Too many yeah. hours. Just too many. Just too much. A lot of Googling time. There's a lot of Googling time. A lot of baseball reference pages. Number of size. I've already done a couple tonight. Yeah. Six, amount of time Jeffrey has spent discussing his man crush on Yusmero Petit. Not as much time we feel, I feel like we've looked at uh, Venezuela and Winter League stats. Where Yusmero Petit has been quite good in the past. Yeah. Yusmero Petit, in a lot of ways, predates the podcast. He does, because he was like your first, he was your yeah. first crush. We talked about his bobbleheads. At various times. I don't feel like he's been... Have you found that bobblehead? 
I've never found, I haven't found the St. Lucie one, but mm. I do have two separate San Francisco Giants ones now. So mm. it's not the same. It is not. Seven Bartolo. That'd be the Bartolo. last two years of podcasts, but there's a lot of Bartolo. I mean, there's not too many podcasts that wouldn't have had him on there in the last two years. It's true. Even if it's just a, like a passing mention. Yeah. As always, thanks for the great work, David. Everything? Yeah, that's everything. This is your emails. Once yeah. again, that's it. Did I miss one? No, no, no. Right. Once again, you can email the podcast at podcast at amazingavenueaudio.com. Were you just shocked we did this in under an hour? That was, yeah, it's good work. It was good work. I could have spent way more time on Bartolo. I thought, like, I had the thought when I was at work, I'm like, ah, I'll send David Roth an email. But as soon as he gets on the show to talk about Bartolo, it's just going to be a disaster. That could be a long conversation. It'll be a very long conversation. And I still have a lot of writing to do over the next few days, so. You're a busy man. I am a busy man. Very, it's very pretty- busy man. So the funny thing is, like, I have all this, like, prospect writing to do for the annual and other stuff. And, like, when the Bartolo trade went down, like, I immediately, like, sent a message to my editor. Like, has someone claimed the transaction analysis for Bartolo it. yet? <laughs> and after five seconds, I'm like, I should not have sent that message. <laughs> But I think RJ is doing it, which is fine. I don't think <laughs> I can get sound, away with You don't some... sound bitter at all. I'm not. I'm really actually not because I realized it was probably not the best use of my time tonight. I also realized I probably couldn't sell them on just like a series of like Bartolo photos. Although that would have been. It would have been, yeah. That would have summed it all up. It would have. That's all you need. I was very upset at work because I haven't like fully downloaded from the cloud like all the photos off my old phone. So yeah. I'm short Bartolo photos right now. I don't have every Bartolo. I don't have all the Bartolo photos I would need for the situations where uh, it's warranted to post a Bartolo photo. You know, it's funny. The first, the very first Mets-related Bartolo picture is is him showing up to spring training with the two, two dudes. Years ago. With the with two, the two dudes. With the, with the posse. <laughs> it's I great. Mean, we should have known. We should have yeah, known. We should have known right away. I guess I think it would be endless joy. What's your favorite Bartolo photo? Oh man, I it's it's not photo. It's like it's gifts. You know, it's I, I like uh, I like the one where the outfielder makes a nice play and he's clapping in his glove. He's clapping, just like chewing his gum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just <laughs> and then like I mean, obviously everyone likes the dugout shaking Jiggle the stomach. belly. You yeah. know, I mean that's good stuff. I'm sure I'm missing a bunch I, I think the best one is still like the totally like stone face blue blockers sunglasses on opening day shot oh okay I know which one you're talking about alternatively that or uh, anyone where he's just like throwing the ball up in the air is good too yeah and there's many 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 of, those. many of those let me see what I have on this phone Remember he's like, like the gigantic stupid grin on his face and like throwing the ball in spring training? That's always a good one too. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I found one today that I didn't have. 
There, or the one with him holding the uh, World Series 2015 sign, like Photo Day or whatever, Media Day, is a great one. That's I found one, one I didn't have. It's like him in the military uniforms, like about to score with Curtis Granderson behind him. He's like striking a pose, like he's dancing. Oh, really? <laughs> I haven't had a chance to use that one yet, but I'll see if I can find that one and make it the uh, the episode photo. There's also a, a bunch of good ones where he's swinging and missing. And oh, yeah, helmet. and his helmet's falling off. Helmet's falling off, and he's, like, smiling. Yeah, there's like, there's almost too many of those, though. It's true. It's like a dime dozen. I also have one of his, like, statue in front of, like, Estadio Bartolo Colon that I really like, too. Well, yeah, that was a new discovery. It was. Just the, the exterior shot of Estadio Bartolo Colon is great. <laughs> Just the fact that it exists is great. Yeah, yeah. There's so many. We get another year of Bartolo Colon. It's glorious. And you get another year of podcasts. Whether you want it or not, we'll see you in 2016 on Amazing Avenue Audio.